0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guest and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
2: Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so excited about today's episode because we have somebody who was one of my very, very first guests when we... First began Go Green Radio, Jennifer Taggart. She is the smart mama, very famous in the blogging world at www.thesmartmama.com. She has a brand new book out. It's called Smart Mama's Green Guide. Read it on vacation. I absolutely love it. It's about simple to reduce your child's toxic chemical exposure. And uh, Jennifer is just an incredibly uh, credible uh, expert on this topic. She's been an environmental lawyer. She's been um, an environmental engineer. We're going to hear all about her background. But uh, probably the most important part of her background is that she is a mom and she protects her kids. And she's going to help us all protect our kids from some of the things that we may not even realize have the potential to uh, to harm our children, some of the toxic chemicals and things we use every day. And so we're going to be talking with her about how to reduce that. You're going to find that a lot of the tips and the pointers that she has for reducing these chemicals within your home will also be applicable to daycares, to schools, anywhere you have children. Um, these principles and these tips are going to help you create a healthier and safer space for them to, to live and breathe and learn in. So welcome back to Go Green Radio, Jennifer. It is so great to have you.
3: Thank you, Jill. Thanks again for having me. I, um, it's uh, been exciting since the first Go, well, not the first, but the almost the beginning of Go Green Radio and um, the journey to getting the book published. So thanks for having me back.
2: Well, I know that it's always a a big challenge. Anybody I've ever talked to um, who has completed a book, I'm still in the middle of mine, so I'm pulling my hair out right now. But I really, my heroes are those who have actually crossed the finish line. I know that's a huge undertaking. I pre-ordered your book on Amazon.com, and I read it on vacation last week, and I absolutely love it. Um, For all of our Go Green Radio listeners out there, tell us first why you wrote the book, Smart Mama's Green Guide.
3: I wrote the book to provide a vehicle to teach choice and inform people, but it started off with a personal journey for me. I, before I had my son, who is now six, I had two miscarriages. And as you said briefly, um, I had been an environmentalist person person um, for a long time, but it was always abstract in the sense that I was trying to save the polar bears or, you know, stop climate change. Um, things that weren't particularly personal to me, and when I tried to get pregnant, um, I had two miscarriages, and I started to wonder because they were both unexplained miscarriages, mm-hmm. if maybe something in my environment was causing or contributing to that. And I did a lot of research, and, and you know, I never established any link, but I became so surprised and aware of all the things I was using, and eating and breathing in in the home um, were linked to birth defects, developmental um, harm. And it just got me thinking. And so I continued on that path. What was abstract became very personal. And then um, after I had my son, I went to very, uh, a lot of new mom classes where you kind of just get together with new moms um, and talk about issues with breastfeeding and attachment parenting and co-sleeping, You know anything you can come up with in the leader or the um, I guess the facilitator of the group mm-hmm. would get questions about does if I eat tuna, will the mercury come out in my breast milk? If we're remodeling, do I need to be worried about lead and is my baby going to breathe it in and those questions. And I ended up um, stepping on stepping in, hopefully not stepping on her toes, but stepping in and answering those questions. And I realized that I had a lot of information and I wanted to share it to help educate and inform um, without scaring, my, I didn't want to scare people mm-hmm. into making change, but just to give them information so that they could make their own choices about what was right for them and their families.
2: Well, and how do you hope that uh, that the book will be used? I mean, um, everybody who comes up with any kind of a, a written work product, I mean, even when I was writing the text for my, for my website, gogreeninitiative.org, I had a vision in my mind of how I hoped people who were reading that information would receive it, what they would do with it. What is your vision for how people will use your book?
3: I want people to use my book as a resource. I want it to give them the tools that they are informed and can make their own choices. I really want to teach choice, but I also want them to feel empowered. A lot of times I hear from people, it doesn't really matter what I do. We've got factories. We've got all these people driving their cars and the kids, The manufacturers don't care. They're just trying to make a buck. There's really nothing I can do to make a difference. And that's not true. I want the book to be a galvanizing mechanism for people to realize that they can take control and they can do very simple things to make a difference and make their world a little bit safer and the world for their children and, and, and their grandchildren maybe too a little bit safer just by things that they can do without worrying about the rest of it. Then, if they're so inclined, I would love to have people become, you know, eco-warriors and advocate change, whether it's through legislation or regulatory changes or getting manufacturers to um, reformulate their products. But at the very least, I want them to feel empowered enough to make a simple change, at least one simple step today and maybe another one tomorrow.
2: Well, and I think I I can honestly say that your book is, so readable and so accessible, you you don't have to have Jennifer Taggart's environmental education and background in order to glean some really helpful hints um, and tips, like you said, that you can put into action today. But just so our listeners understand just how intensely credible you are, I'd love for you to talk about your work as an environmental engineer and as an environmental lawyer. Talk about what you've done in those fields so that we get an idea of, of what you've done in the past and then how you took that experience into your role as a mother and, and, and how that parlayed into your current work.
3: I, I've always been interested in the environment. When my mother gave me "Silent Spring," I think when I was 12 or 13, and I announced I wanted to be an environmental engineer mm-hmm. um, to my parents I I was 12 or 13, it was middle school, it was 7th or 8th grade, it was before high school. And um, my undergraduate degree is in engineering science. When I graduated from high school, I went to work as an environmental engineer. I went to the so-called dark side, if there's a dark side, but I worked for a major aerospace company for five years doing environmental compliance, primarily air toxics, which are um, dealing with uh, processes in the manufacturing plant that emit air emissions that can be toxic. So not so much the pollution that causes climate change, but things that are toxic for people to breathe in. Mm -hmm. And that was my specialty. (laughs)
2: Hey, that's not the dark side, Jennifer. I mean, if you don't have people, you know, helping industry across the board do better, then we're in big trouble. So I, I don't think there is a dark side. As long as you're trying to, you know, help companies comply and, and you know, work towards the, the greater good, there's no dark side to that. Yeah, I know.
3: It's kind of a joke because a lot of times when you're in the green community and you say you've worked for an aerospace company, they look at you oddly. But, you know, if everybody needs help complying with the law and doing better. And if you're not, you know, you can work from the inside as well. So anyway, that's right, I've that's worked right. as an engineering engineer for years. I also did Prop 65 compliance, which if you don't live in California, you may not be familiar with, but Prop 65 is a California-specific law that requires warnings um, for before consumers before they um, buy a product that has a carcinogen or a developmental toxicant in it, which means a a chemical that causes cancer or a chemical that can cause reproductive harm. Um, But companies also have to warn their neighbors if they are emitting stuff from their plants that can um, either be a carcinogen or be a developmental toxicant. And I worked on that law while I worked for the aerospace company for five years. So I was looking at modeling emissions and how they were distributed throughout the community and then calculating health risks from those exposures So I was doing a lot of health risk assessment to determine whether or not our neighbors at the plant were being um, exposed to chemicals that could cause them harm. Um, While I was doing that, I spent a lot of time with attorneys and uh, realized that I, I mean, just, you know, we're all kind of making money to realize that I could make more money doing what I was doing as an attorney as opposed to an engineer Mm -hmm. and went to night school while working full-time as an engineer. For law. When I graduated from law school, I, I focused on environmental law through law school and um, went straight to work as an environmental attorney. And I've been practicing environmental law for 15 years, mostly doing the same thing, helping companies comply with laws like Prop 65. So, looking at consumer products and evaluating the ingredients and then how the products used by the consumer, whether there's a risk of being exposed to what the ingredients are. So you'll have things like adhesives where people use them and can breathe in the fumes and you have a risk of exposure. But if you use that same adhesive to glue together a picture frame and it, when you sell it, it's all dry. There might not be any risk of exposure to the ingredients that were in that adhesive or glue when it was liquid. Um, So I've been doing that for 15 years.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, um, Also, I have another business. I do consulting using a Niton XRF analyzer which looks like a ray gun. (laughs) It's a handheld device that you can use to test consumer products um, for elements, which include lead, cadmium, mercury, and then also things like bromine, which is used in... um, Bromated flame retardant, so you can't test for the flame retardants using this ray gun by itself, but you can test for the indicator element that's a fundamental um, component of the flame retardant. And I do that for people in their homes if they're concerned about whether they have toys or mattresses or whatever that have um, uh, chemicals that could potentially cause harm. I also do it for clients that are trying to comply with the law so that they can double-check the products that they're manufacturing and selling to make sure they don't have any um, potentially harmful chemicals in them, or if they do, they can either, you know, provide a warning label or maybe reformulate the product depending on what states there are. Mm-hmm. And so um, at this you... time, I've tested more than 200,000 consumer products to determine what's in them. Wow.
2: Wow, that's amazing. So, and you're able to do this as a mom. I mean, you describe yourself in the book as a warrior when you became a new mom, But you've really taken that natural instinct to protect your kids and become an eco-warrior, as you mentioned earlier. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, as an expectant mother um, to your current role as an advocate on behalf of children's welfare. I mean, you really have taken, you know, a very professional um, side of environmental compliance and taken it right into the nursery.
3: I I, I mean, if if you've had kids, whether you've adopted them or, you know, you're the ba- an aunt or a mom, you know, you look at this baby or child and realize that you are responsible for this person. All the things that you are doing are going to make a difference. When you're carrying a baby, you know, what you eat, what you drink, what you breathe in um, can affect your child. And I just remember one... Uh, moment, I was standing at the gas station pumping gas, and I was pregnant. And I went, "Oh my god, this stuff smells awful! I know there's benzene in it, which is a carcinogen." Um, and, and I'm sitting here breathing it in. What the heck am I doing? You know, why isn't my husband pumping the gas? Um, so y- y- you know, you realize that y- you want to protect the world, I and mean, I think we all have that uh, instinct to protect our children or our neighbor's children. You know, you don't really want a child to come to harm. That is true. And I think a lot of our Go
2: Green Radio listeners feel the exact same way. And, in fact, when we come back from this commercial break, we're going to get into some specifics about the things in food and beverages that uh, we can protect our children from. And so, folks, don't go away. We're going to be back in just a few moments with more with Jennifer Taggart, the smart mama. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
1: About Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi, you can trust me. I'm African American, just like you. So, here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and
4: here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What
1: a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council.
4: Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
2: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! No! Uh. Oh! There you go.
1: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1 888 200 4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs>
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are so honored today to have Jennifer Taggart. You've got to check out her website. It's just terrific. It's the. Smartmama.com And mama is M-A-M-A. So check that out. Open a new web browser. Don't turn off this web browser. Keep listening to Go Green Radio. But maybe while we're talking, open up a new web browser. Go to TheSmartMama.com. There, you're going to get all kinds of great information. But you're also going to see um, that Jennifer has written a book, The Smart Mama's Green Guide. I read it over vacation in Myrtle Beach last week. Love it. It's so packed with great information. It's concise, it's accessible, very accessible, um, and, and I really, really hope that you will all get out there and check it out. You can get it on Amazon.com, and, uh, and I hope you do. Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us on Go Green Radio.
3: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
2: Well, I'd like to talk about food and beverages a little bit because your book has some great information that, honestly, I haven't seen elsewhere. I want to start with a really basic thing, water. Um, talk to us about our water supply. And those of us in California know that we're in our third year of drought. But beyond that, how can we ensure that our children get enough healthy drinking water?
3: Uh, getting them to drink water would be great. <laughs> Starting with the basics, a lot of children, I know, and my kids are, of course, as guilty of this as the next. Gravitate, of course, to juice first. So, you know, water down that juice and um, just get them to drink water. But generally, your water quality depends on where you are. It's a very regional issue. So if you get water from a municipality, um, you should get a consumer confidence report called a CCR, at least once a year from your water purveyor, um, they may just give you an email um, a, a link to a website with the report on it in your bill uh, mm-hmm. once a year. Um, generally, if you go click on the water purveyors' website, you can get that report directly online without waiting for them to tell you it's available and usually they have them all archived look in it and look at the quality of the water that you are getting based on the sampling that that agency is doing. Um, That should have a list and it's pretty easy to kind of follow along even though it sounds complex and it'll tell you what the um, chemicals are they're sampling for and how many times they've met the federal drinking water standards and if they've ever had any exceedances over the year where their sampling showed that the concentration levels were above what's allowed. Um, Under the uh, federal law, there's a maximum contaminant limit, or MCL, for most of the chemicals of concern, but not all of them. I think over the last year, people have seen reports about how we have found um, various drugs in our water supply, and a lot of those, there are no limits for them in our water supply um, because our, our regulatory scheme hasn't quite caught up to everything we're using. But anyway, check out your water supply. If you're on well water, you have your own well water, you should be testing your well periodically to make sure that the water you're drinking is not contaminated.
2: Now, you're talking tap water, you know, I'm talking right out of the spigot. A lot of moms and parents, I mean, feel like they have to get bottled water, it's safer. What's, what's your feeling on that?
3: Well, you don't. Know, it's kind of, it's sort of a myth you don't really have to so the first step is before you go that route is check out what the water's like that you get from the municipality or your well and and check out the quality and then you got to factor into that what actually comes out of your tap because they're sampling, you know, where they're where they're disinfecting the water. They're not sampling at your tap. If your home was built before 1986, you may have Pipes in your – conveying the water from the main pipe to your house that either contain lead or have solder that contains lead, and that can leach out from the the pipes and the fittings into the water. And so when you turn on your tap, you're actually getting lead-contaminated water, not because the source of the water is contaminated, but because your piping is contributing to it. And so you need to factor that in depending on when your house was built. Another myth is that a new house isn't going to have lead-free pipes, and that's not true. Under the law, you're allowed to have in lead-free pipes up to 8% lead. So if you're building a new house right now and you're listening to this, ask for zero lead pipes, not lead-free, because that means you actually will have zero lead as opposed to up to 8% lead.
2: Um, That's, I mean, that's really shocking to me. I, I think we've all kind of worked under the assumption that, you know, we got rid of lead paint and lead pipes, and now we don't have to worry about that. Now, I, I would like to talk about chemicals in meat and fish and milk. Um, what should parents and school nutrition officials be looking for in order to ensure the healthiest choices for kids when it comes to those items? Because. You know, we're, kids eat a lot of of you know meat, and, and a lot of us are trying to get them to eat fish. Um, we always try to get them to drink milk, and I've heard various reports about whether or not that's a smart idea. What are your guidance, you know, points on meat and fish and
3: milk? For for fish species matters, um, when you're choosing the fish that you're serving, you want to make sure that it has a low mercury concentration in it, and then also other concerns with fish are flame retardants. Generally, the shorter-lived the fish is, the the least time it's alive, the lower the mercury contamination, and also the lower the flame retardant contamination because those build up over time. Generally, for kids, they're serving things like fish sticks, which are generally made from a fish that's relatively low in mercury. Um, I mean, you know, when you're talking fish sticks, you've got to also look at what kind of fats and stuff are in there. But that's a different story. Let's just focus on the chemicals. Right. Um, for meat, again, you know, we try to buy all organic in our home because then I don't have to worry about things like arsenic in chicken, which is fed to chicken for reducing um, germs in the, in the stomachs of the chickens. Um, but that's hard, I know, for a school system or even a daycare system. So, you know, ask questions. If you can pick, at least do organic dairy products, even if you can't do organic meat, um, so you can reduce the amount of um, pesticides and um, antibiotics and stuff in the, the dairy product. Um, right. When it comes to meat, you know, if you can't go organic, that's great. When it comes to fish, there really isn't a good organic fish standard. So look for the shorter-lived fish. Stay away from things like... Um, uh, Sailfish and some of the tunas, canned tuna, the albacore can have relatively high mercury concentrations, much higher than chunk light. So instead of doing albacore, do the light. That's going to have lower. Better yet, switch to canned salmon. The canned salmon is low in mercury. And although some salmon species have flame retardants in them, the type of salmon that's used for canned salmon is usually, first, sustainably caught. So it's generally a greener um, mm-hmm. fish. And, two, it's also low in flame retardants generally. Um, it, when you're shopping, just keep in mind that usually farm-raised fish, although it sounds sustainable, generally have higher concentrations of flame retardant chemicals because the fish are fed a fish chow mixture, which is ground-up fish and oil. And so it, since those flame retardants concentrate in fat, they are going to concentrate up the food chain as the fish eat the fish chow And then another thing is when you're preparing it at home, if you can, um, most toxic chemicals, with the exception of mercury, um, accumulate in the fat. So if you prepare your meat or your fish so as to minimize the amount of time that the meat itself is soaking in the fat, you'll reduce the amount of chemicals that are being uh, sort of concentrated during the cooking process. So trim off excess fat and then cook in a way where you're not sort of cooking in the fat, if that makes sense.
2: That makes perfect sense, and again, this is the first time I'm hearing some of this, so I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, who finds this incredibly valuable information. For you, you've probably known this for years, and it's old hat, but I think a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are, are learning some new things. Speaking of which, there was a section in your book that talked about pizza boxes and microwave popcorn bags, and I had never heard anything about these packaging issues before I read the book. Talk about that just a little bit. What's going on with you know the chemicals with pizza boxes and microwave popcorn bags? Because I'll admit we use them all the time. But,
3: you know, <laughs> everyone always talks about toxic Teflon, and um, you know it's it's it. To make Teflon, they use a compound called atonic acid, or PFOA, and then there's a related compound com, called PFOS. PFOA and PFOS are found in all of us. In fact, one study of babies found that, um, of, I think it was 350 babies, 100% of them had PFOS in their blood and 99% of them had PFOA in their blood. So we're up, up, exposed to those compounds all the time as they're showing up in our babies. What those compounds are, are perfluorinated compounds. There are, or fluorotelomers of another way they're referred to. We use one of them to make nonstick surfaces and people think that you can get exposed to them when you cook with nonstick cookware. But the real source for most of us is the fact that those perfluorinated compounds are the things that make packaging or clothing or carpeting or upholstered furniture, the upholstery textiles, nonstick, um, grease repellent, water repellent, um stain repellent and soil repellent that's what those compounds do they they act to you know uh, make whatever surface they're applied to um, grease resistant water resistant soil resistant so you find them in things like fast food packaging because they don't want you to see all the grease that's leaking from those french fries, so they coat the surface of it, and that's why when you're taking a um French fried box, you might not see any grease at the bottom, but if you put those french fries and put them in a paper bag, you see lots of grease. It's yeah, it's that paper box. So it's been coated with a substance designed to repel grease. And it's the same technology that we use on men's um khakis that are supposed to be stain resistant. Um, it's been coated with the substance and there, you know, there's different types of the su- substance depending on the application, but it's the uh-huh. same thing we use on carpets or on um couches. They're all these perfluorinated compounds. And unfortunately, uh, when we eat food, some of it does get transferred to the food from the fast food packaging. When we use it on our clothing or in our carpets or our upholstered furniture, uh, Mm -hmm. they off-gas and then they absorb to dust, and then we ingest or inhale the dust particles. So we get them in our system.
2: This is fascinating. And, folks, I know you're not going to want to go away because we have more with Jennifer Taggart, Smart Mama. Go to her website, thesmartmama.com. We're going to be back with more, talking about her new book, Smart Mama's Green Guide. Fascinating stuff, and uh, we'll be back after this commercial break with more Go Green Radio.
1: News, opinion
4: deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to The Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs>
2: Pleased as punch to have Jennifer Taggart, the SmartMama.com, um, with us today. She's talking about her new book, the Smart Mama's Green Guide. You can get it on Amazon. I did. I pre-ordered it because I couldn't wait, and uh, I read it on vacation in Myrtle Beach last week and loved it. I think that it's just. Something that should be on every parent's bookshelf so that we can protect our kids from some pretty common toxic chemicals that can be found in our home, in daycare situations, in school. Um, Those of you out there, I love you guys on Twitter, loving you guys who are listening and emailing me at gogreenradio at gmail.com. I would love for you to call in. Here's the number, 866. 866- 472-5788. In the meantime, we're going to go ahead and ask Jennifer to answer an email that I got on gogreenradio at gmail.com. Uh, this comes from Mary in Texas. She was listening to the segment that we just went over, talking about pizza boxes and microwave popcorn bags and the chemicals that you were talking about that are present in those. She was worried. Uh, she heard that you know a lot of babies have this chemical that is found in their bloodstream. And she wants to know what does what do these chemicals do to children? What's the effect? And how do we avoid it? So, Jennifer, I'm going to toss that question to you. You're the expert.
3: Sure. Um, the studies on what the perfluorinated compounds do, we have more animal studies than human data, obviously, um, and we do actually have some human data linked to DuPont's um uh, plant where they where they make nonstick, but a lot of those are occupational exposures, which are high. But generally, for the low dose exposures, um, blood concentrations of PF, PFOA have been linked to infertility. Um, people with higher levels have a longer time to get pregnant,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: also appear to be linked to. A decrease in the quality of semen in men. So they not only do they potentially affect a woman's fertility, but also the quality of a man's semen. They've been linked to lower weight, lower birth weight babies. Not outside what the normal range is, but a statistical difference in the um, the um, the birth weight. Um, so they can lower the birth weight of a baby if you're exposed while you're pregnant pregnant. Mm-hmm. They also appear to be linked to developmental toxicity, which means they can interrupt the baby's development. Mm-hmm. They also appear to affect the immune system, and they also have some hormonal effects. And our hormones system basically tells our body what to do when. It's our whole chemical messengering, messengering system in our body, and they seem to affect that and interrupt it. We've seen that in studies with frogs, as tadpoles change into frogs, that developmental transition is very similar to the developmental of um, uh, how humans develop the spine system and it interrupts as tadpoles go to frogs. Mm-hmm.
2: And how do, what should we be doing to protect our children from these chemicals, what kind of alternatives do you recommend?
3: If you're it, there's a couple things. If you're buying new stuff, like new carpeting, new furniture, that sort of thing, you can get products that don't have that stain resistant technology on them. Now, you know, I know moms are going, "Yeah, but I rely on that so my couch doesn't look crappy after my kids play on it." <laughs> right. uh, you know, an easy solution is to use a um a cover for your couch that you can throw in the washing machine mm-hmm. to protect your couch while your kids are young. The most exposure is probably for us from food packaging, however. And, you know, there's really easy solutions. I know everyone's going to go to the fast food restaurants of the world. I certainly do. Um, it's an easy solution when you've got two kids screaming in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can take the food out of the wrappers. I keep little trays next to the car seats that kind of hook on the car seats. And you can take the hamburger, the chicken nuggets, whatever, out and just put it on the tray, take the French fries out, put them on the tray, or put them in the bag or even that Happy Meal box. You didn't know there was a use for it. There is. You Uh can take the food and put it directly in those, take them out of those wrappers, because the amount of the chemical increases with the length of time that the food is exposed to the wrapper. So if you unwrap that hamburger real quickly, and either put it in the Happy Meal box or on the tray, you will reduce exposure. For pizza, don't store your pizza in the pizza box. Don't mm-hmm. store your Chinese food in the Chinese food container. Just reduce the amount of time. I'm, you know, I'm, you know no, we're all going to get fast food or, or delivery food, but you can reduce the amount of time. That the food is exposed or if you have good relationships with the people who deliver your house, like they know you, like they do me, I ask them to use something else. Our pizza guy actually gave him my own box that he reuses and brings because we have pizza night every Friday night.
2: So Yeah, I was getting ready to say, it's Friday. This yeah. pizza night in our house. <laughs> so,
3: you know, it, so, it depends. You know, I'm in Los Angeles, but, you know, if you go to the same restaurant over and over, they may listen to you and you can give them your own container or whatever. That might not be a solution for most of us, but reducing the amount of time is really easy. And then in the home, if you already have stain-resistant carpet um, or, or, or furniture, keep your dust bunnies down. The um, perfluorinated compounds appear to off-gas and adhere to dust. So if you keep your house clean you will reduce the amount of exposure. Now, I know that's a virtual impossibility with kids, <laughs> and I recognize that. But if you keep the room clean that you guys spend most of the time, whether that's the kitchen or the TV room, and just keep the dust bunnies down in there, that's, you know, what you can do. That's, if that's all you can do. That's what you can do. The added benefit is you will also reduce exposure to lead, because we find lead in our household dust and mm-hmm. pesticides that we've brought in from the outside, and I, it's, that's why we take our shoes off at the door. Because
2: um, for a lot of homes, the air intake that, that circulates through your ventilation is low to the floor. So if you're walking past that with things that you carry in, you know, from the outside onto your shoes and you walk past that, you're, you're actually going to end up with that
3: in your ventilation system. And actually um, there's a better reason, I mean I that's a great reason, but when you, you bring most of your and dust and contamination into the home from outside. So if you take off your shoes, you can reduce your exposure to lead generally by about 65%.
2: Wow, that's huge. Well, while we're on the topic of clean house, um, let's switch gears just a little bit because you have a really great section in the book that discusses non-toxic cleaning supplies and methods You know, with all the information on the news about flu pandemics and that kind of thing, a lot of parents are worried about ensuring that they keep their homes clean and germ-free. Talk to us about how to accomplish that squeaky clean feeling without using harsh and toxic chemicals. You
3: can clean most of your surfaces in your home with a few homemade recipes that are going to keep your house clean when you're strategizing about cleaning you know, keeping clean. You want to get the soil off of surfaces. Um, Germs like to live on something to eat, and they find that in our soil and dust. And then you want to sanitize usually your kitchen sink and your toilet, those sorts of things. Sure. But there's a big myth that you need to have your house smell like the conventional cleaners that we've been brought up with to make it clean, and you really don't need that. To make a soft scrub, all you need is some liquid castile soap, which all that means, a fancy word means it's a... Soap based on vegetables, traditionally olive oil, um, but it can be a lot of different things nowadays. And you mix that with baking soda to the consistency that you like. If you want to keep it for up to a year, you add some vegetable-based glycerin, which you can find at most stores actually nowadays, even the conventional um, grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And you just mix it, the baking soda and the liquid Castile soap to the consistency that you like. And then you can um, clean most surfaces that would take what is a soft scrub. Um, If you want to clean your toilet and you want to disinfect it, add baking soda for some scrubbing mechanism. Um, squirt some liquid to soap soap in or the soft scrub you just made and then clean that let it sit and follow up with some vinegar vinegar is a great disinfectant it'll foam the baking soda so it will actually on the sides of the bowl you'll see some foaming action to remove it mm-hmm. and you've got a clean toilet um, you know I know people love bleach because they think it's an all purpose germ killer mm-hmm. um, and bleach um it is But there are some hazards associated with using bleach because it can um, cause respiratory irritation. And then there are, you know, poisoning risks with having a child drink bleach. You can use an isopropyl alcohol if you feel the need to disinfect or potentially vinegar or hydrogen peroxide. It really depends on what the application is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you, you can skip some of those things. I know people are going, I don't have time to make homemade cleaners. Um, it really doesn't take that much more time, and it actually is a lot less expensive when you consider a soft scrub is like five ninety nine, right? And um, you can make the same thing for about fifty cents. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot greener to be green. You'll get a lot more green. Um, but you can buy lots of uh, um, green brands on the market if you want to skip making your own homemade cleaners.
2: Right. Well, what about uh, pesticides? I mean, nobody wants a house full of bugs, and at the same time, we don't want to use pesticides that harm our children more than
3: having the pests would. How do we strike a balance with pesticides? Um, I just fundamentally, if you're pregnant um, or trying to get pregnant, skip using conventional pesticides. It's linked to a six to nine times increased risk of your child developing childhood leukemia. So if you need a motivator to skip those pesticides, you just got it. Mm -hmm. But As your mom or grandmother always told you, prevention is the best solution. So for pests, you know, before you spray those conventional pesticides, um, caulk the pest entrances, use window screens or door screens. If you have pet food that you keep outside, you know, put it in a closed container. Um, If you keep pet food out in the house or actually food, you know, make sure it's in a closed container. Do all those sort of prevention mechanisms first, so you, you can maybe get rid of pests, and then you, you know, people still have them, and it's a lot of it's regional. In Southern California, we have silverfish where we live, and I hate silverfish. Yeah. Um, but I found a solution if you take, and most pests have have a non-toxic solution that you could try before spraying a conventional pesticide. Um,
2: yep, for, there's but, lots of websites out there yeah, with some information on that and also, folks, you've got to pick up Jennifer's book because I don't want you to give away the farm um, because okay. you really ought to, uh, folks, you've got to get a hold of this book. It's called Smart Mama's Green Guide. You can get it on Amazon.com. We're going to be back after this commercial break with more from Jennifer Taggart. While you're on break, you can open a new web browser and go to her site at www smartmama.com Don't go away. We'll be back with more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk,
1: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! Your world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com.
4: Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The
1: Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join host Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America Channel.
2: by one of my favorite guests, and uh, I have pledged to her over the break that we're going to bring her back lots and lots because she is a terrific guest, very knowledgeable. Her name is Jennifer Taggart. Uh, you can find her website at www.thesmartmama.com. She's got a new book out that I am a big fan of. I hope you will all go out and get it because it really is one of the most concise and excellent incredible credible resources I have seen. It's called Smart Mama's Green Guide, and uh, I read it on vacation in, in Myrtle Beach last weekend. It was just a, an easy, enjoyable, um, but thoroughly educational read, and I hope that, that everybody out there will get a copy of it. Um, I am concerned about something that you know, I really didn't know about until I read your book, Jennifer, and that is sunscreen. Um, skin cancer is one of those huge concerns, and as we get into the dog days of summer, I know a lot of parents will be really lathering their kids up with plenty of sunscreen. Um, and so we want to ensure that, uh, you know, we get our kids the the very best in sunscreen. And Jennifer's book has a, a lot of information about what you can do to get the right kind of sunscreen. And Jennifer, I, I would love to have you talk about safe sunscreen. There are some concerns that that I know you address in the book, give us a snapshot of what we should be looking for as parents.
3: Well, just for basic sunscreen protection, you want to make sure that you have a sunscreen that protects you from both UVA and UVB radiation. Um, And the SPS factor is generally a measure of protection from UVB rays. So you want to look for a sunscreen that gives you um, what's usually on the label as broad-spectrum protection. So that's what you're looking for just in terms of sunscreen effectiveness. And in terms of chemical issues, um, last year the Environmental Working Group released a study that actually showed a lot of sunscreens on the market were not effective or had chemicals of concern. And that scared a lot of parents. So to to break it down, the first thing is make sure you get broad-spectrum protection. The second thing is you got to consider whether or not you want to have a physical barrier sunscreen or a chemical barrier sunscreen. And what that means is the mechanism that protects you from the harmful rays can either be based on a physical blocker like um, titanium or zinc oxide or it can be based on a chemical. And a lot of the chemical-based sunscreens have been shown to break down with exposure to sun. So their effectiveness claims may not be as Um, worthwhile, as you would Uh think. And the other concern is that some of them, um, they're designed to penetrate the skin, and so they do, our our skin is an organ. What we get exposed to our skin, you know, gets transferred to our bodies, and so we're exposing ourselves to chemicals if we're using those chemical-based sunscreens. The physical barrier sunscreens, which are based on um, titanium and zinc, study after study has shown, even if they're micronized, which the particles are really, really smart, or they're nanoparticles, they don't penetrate the outer layer of the skin, which is known as the horny epidermis. They never get past that. So they literally sit on the surface of your skin and act as a barrier. I, I have very fair skin. And when I grew up, my um, my grandfather was a doctor, and I remember every summer I would have a white face all the time because I would put zinc oxide on, and it wasn't pretty. It was the you know stereotypical white nose of the lifeguard, but I would actually have it on my whole face. Uh-huh. Nowadays, they've made them, um, small so that when you put them on, they're not white. So you really want to get a physical barrier sunscreen. You want to look at the active ingredient on the label, which is required to be on sunscreen, and see what they're claiming is is making the sunscreen effective. So you want to look for zinc or titanium as opposed to some of the chemicals like oxybenzone. So look at that, you know, first and see. And then the other thing that comes up with sunscreen are the same problems we have with all of the... Uh, personal care or beauty products is that they could have fragrance in them. You'll see fragrance listed as the last ingredient. If it's a synthetic-based fragrance, which is usually what that means if you see just fragrance or sometimes perf- perfume or parfum, and they're using the French, um, is that it will be supported by a phthalate, and phthalates are hormone disruptors. They cause the scent to linger. So in that mixture of fragrance, you'll find phthalates.
2: All right, I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb. We are not sponsored by Coppertone or any other brand, so can you shortchange this advice for our our listeners and give us a brand? Give us your favorite. Um, are you, we like
3: Badger and California Baby.
2: Okay, great. So now you guys know. That's the, that's the place to go. That's what our expert has recommended, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, do they have uh, a commercial base? Where do you find them? In
3: California stores? Baby is available at Target. Uh-huh. Um you can buy it online, but it's available at Target. It's in a lot of specialty um baby stores too, but the reason I usually recommend California Baby is cuz it's available at Target and most people have Target or the equivalent. On the East Coast, I don't know the precise stores, but I know it's available at Target. Um Badger is also sometimes available. Uh, and it kind of depends on, um, California Baby has a great stick, which is per- perfect for nose and cheeks for kids that are always worried about it getting in their eye. It, it kind of looks like a lipstick, but it's just a sunscreen, and so you can get it on that nose and the cheek, and it's perfect. Um, Badger is, I, I buy it online, so I actually don't know if it's available on a big box retailer, But and I'm not sponsored by California Baby. I have nothing to do with them.
2: <laughs> I know that about you, and that's why I knew that if I asked you that question, you'd give us, you know, really what you as a mom use on your kids. So thank you for, for doing that. Um, you know, a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are outdoorsy, and they're going to be camping with their kids this summer. They're going to be outside. And, you know, we hear about West Nile virus and all these things. So a lot of us are using insect repellents. Can you help us find a good solution for that that's safe and uh, and, and still effective?
3: The traditional insect repellents are based on, you know, a pesticide. Most of them contain DEET. DEET is actually considered safe by most regulatory medical establishments and also by the American Academy of Pediatrics. However, there have been studies that showed repeated use, which means at least once per day for 5 or more days, are associated with adverse health effects including things like skin irritation which is, you know, can affect can occur from any um, skin applied product, but also things like seizures and restlessness and even um, death, which if you're in an area with something that's um, particularly significant like West Nile virus, you may need to use a pesticide um, such as D. However, there are a couple things you can do before you reach for that conventional pesticide. One is, again, prevention is always the preferred solution. So if you live near woods, for your house, you know, you can spread a three-foot-wide swath of wood chips between your lawn and the woods. That will deter ticks. Um, don't let mosquitoes breed around your home or your daycare or, or whatever. You can eliminate the standing water, um, clear clogs in your gutter so you don't have little pools of water in your gutters. change the bird bath, change the dog's water, all that sort of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. You can also
3: do things like plant preventive plants. Um, scented geraniums, marigold, um, sweet basil—those things will pr- will um, repel mosquitoes. Um, but if you're still looking to go in the woods, you know, first consider long sleeves and, and appropriate protective clothing, and then you can try a um, insect repellent that's based on using essential oil, which is designed to repel um, the pests as opposed to sort of killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of different essential oils that have repellent activity, but there's some and you can, you know, try making your own and using the carrier oil, but it's too complicated for some people. So you can just buy stuff on the, on, off the shelf. Um, Burt's Bees has an herbal insect repellent that uses primarily rosemary to repel insects. California Baby has a bug blend, bug repellent, say, that uses um, natural citronella and lemongrass.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, uh, one of my readers rep- a recommended Mexi- Mexiton, Skedaddle Anti-Bug Spray, which I've never used. But, it, it, again, it's based on essential oil. And then um, the Pesticide Action Network of North America recommends Bite Blocker, which comes in a lotion and a spray or a wipe. And Bite Blocker, okay. And it uses soybean and coconut oils and is safe for kids. Um, and studies have shown that it's actually just as effective, if not more effective, than DEET-based um, uh, insect repellent,
2: so. Well, folks, you've got your homework there. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Bite blocker. I'm going to be looking for that because my kids are dying to go camping. They are cleaning out the tent. And uh, I'm going to Google that just <laughs> after we get off the show. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on Go Green Radio. And, folks, you really need to get out there. Check out her book, Smart Mama's Green Guide. It's everything you want to know and more about how to keep your home and your children's environment Free from Toxic Chemicals. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. We'll be back next week, same place, same time, with more Go Green Radio. Thanks so much for listening.